You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. Welcome to the podcast. Longtime listeners know that my five things that make life better were usually four things plus the Robert Mueller investigation. And when the Robert Mueller investigation ended in a kind of anticlimax, it was a little hard to think, oh, my God, I have to come up with five whole things. But I have five whole things. Mercury is not in retrograde. I think it left and is on its way to Belgrade. And you can use that. And you know what? I have five things. I had a good week. Life is okay. And Meg Wolitzer will be here. And you won't want to miss her. She's hilarious and smart. And all of her movies sell to Hollywood. So we're also very jealous, but not bitter in any way. Let me get to my five things for this week. Number one, it's called Flower Flash. Now, I have never witnessed this in person. And it's on the internet, so you can find it. And it might bring joy to you when you just see the picture on lisabernbach.com, and we'll have a link to it. There is a florist in Manhattan called Lewis Miller who repurposes flowers from events he designs and puts them in garbage cans on subways, around statues in Central Park. He puts them in building sites, but not just a flower, a lush, beautiful, fantastic surprising assortment of flowers. He puts a lot in garbage cans because garbage cans, let's face it, could look like very huge vases and the proportions are great. I think it's his way of giving back to New York. I love it. It makes me happy. It makes me grateful. It's a kind of floral community service. And that was number one. Number two, I saw a play over the week that I cannot take out of my head. I don't want to either. It's called the Lehman Trilogy. It's a three-hour saga about three German brothers who came to America in 1844, the Lehmans. They eventually, through the decades, became a powerful banking family, one of the great, rich German-Jewish families that started in this country. But the writer, who is Italian and wrote this play in Italian... I was going to say Latin, but in Italian. And then the adapter who translated it is telling a story that is both as familiar as something like Ragtime, in which Dr. O sort of created the bones of the 20th century through a fantasy merging of people who probably never met in real life. But this is all a real story about the immigrant experience, about ambition and family, but, oh, so much about America. And, you know, there are great writers like John Updike, who wrote the Rabbit series, if you haven't read them, you must, in which you're looking at a middle-aged white guy, a kind of uninspired middle-aged white guy who lives in suburban Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and you see all of what happened to America, Watergate, the Vietnam War, the digital revolution through the eyes of his characters. Well, so do we see America from 1844 to 2008 in a three-hour play. And, wait, there's more. The dozens and dozens of characters are portrayed by three actors. 
in a seamless, I mean, there's never a question, who who is that? That man who played Henry Lehman is also playing a woman named Pauline. It's breathtaking. It's at the Park Avenue Armory. I wish everybody could see it. It's very limited run. If you can't see it or you don't live in New York or you don't want to spend $500 a ticket on StubHub, and I don't blame you, I'm sure it will eventually come to a movie screen. But what I really love is that it's played all over the world before it came to America. So the Lehman Trilogy played in Italy in Italian. It played in France in French. It has played a lot, and I don't know whether it speaks to those people about America as it did so powerfully to me and the dream of America, or whether it was so well-written that it they could relate to it as other symbols of their country. And by the way, the Park Avenue Armory is one of the few standing buildings that was built in the Civil War era. So the fact that it's being performed there gave it extra resonance. I mean, it's brilliant. Sam Mendes directed it, and he's brilliant. Number three, something you don't have to be in New York to love. It's Veep, the show with the best cussing on television or on cable. I feel better that it's on. I feel comforted by the ineptitude and the incompetence of this group of people in a fake, that is fake news, in a fake administration. It's kind of a meta escape, isn't it? because it's an escape for me from the real ineptitude and turmoil in Washington. Anyway, it's funny. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is incredible. She has great clothes. I would like her stylist. That was, uh, it's on Sunday nights. You can see it at any time. It really is funny. And it's the last season. So I'm savoring it as one does. Number four, there is an exhibit at the Guggenheim Museum. It is a retrospective of a woman artist who was born in 1862 named Hilma of Clint, who turned to very, probably very weird spiritual practice when she was 17, and who believed in theosophy, who believed in Rosicrucianism, who believed in other osophies and other isms, I was Googling like crazy while I was looking at her art. Part of the pleasure for me of being there is the Guggenheim's architecture, which is a pleasure to walk in. And part was Exhibit C wanted to see the exhibit with me. And it's also going to be here till I believe the end of the month of April. Just a little hacker point, a little pro tip. The Guggenheim, unlike most museums in Manhattan, is open on Mondays. So that is a good day to sneak in and get to see the work of this artist who was motivated by spiritual concerns, although she was a really excellent painter and draftswoman, and who had a vision that her work would be one day displayed in a round building. I mean, it's kind of ooky. She predicted a round building for her works, and now they're in, of course, the most famous round building in maybe the world. I think the Guggenheim Museum's architecture is more famous than the Capitol Records building in Hollywood, don't you? Anyone? Anyone? Number five, it's Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect of the Guggenheim. 
I grew up around the corner from the Guggenheim Museum here in New York, and no matter how many times I've been in it, that building never fails to thrill me. Now, Frank Lloyd Wright was considered by many people and is still considered by many people, quote unquote, the greatest American architect. And he led a fascinating life. A lot of it I know about because my family and I once went to Taliesin West, the architecture school and studio and foundation that he established in Arizona. And the docent who took us around was so great that it made me hungry for more information about Wright the Man. I've read one of his biographies. I've talked to people who had met him. He died in 1959. He never lived to see the Guggenheim open. He died six months before it opened. But can you imagine what that building meant to the skyline of New York? Now, it's only about four stories high, maybe five. But it's such a giant statement plop in the middle of a residential neighborhood. I wonder now whether people who saw it then thought, this is just the most hideous thing ever, or, wow, a magic saucer has dropped onto Fifth Avenue. Aren't we lucky? But he was fascinating. There's a beautiful portrait of him in the museum, which I photographed for your delectation, and it's on lisabernbach.com. So I urge you, if you're near New York, to go to the Guggenheim before that exhibit closes. But, you know, there'll be another exhibit. And guess what? Meg Wolitzer is here. That's right. She left Glenn Close's side for a moment to spend a couple of minutes with us, and we are so grateful. Meg Wallitzer, welcome to Five Things. It's so good to see you. The last time I saw you was another interview we did, and <laughs> probably the next time I see you again. But I love talking to you. So, I love talking to you. So I'll there's no problem. Good. Thanks. Meg Wallitzer has written so many novels. You would think I would know the number. I don't I really think know the number. It's, it's, it's nine or eleven something or something like that. And each one builds upon the voice, the character development, the everything that you learn to do as a writer when you take writing classes and everything you learn to do when you read good books. And I want to say now that you are an inspiration to me. You're not a jealous or competitive person the way I am. And you do encourage other writers. You've encouraged me Thank you. in the past. And that's really lovely. And I don't know how you were wired to be able to write at any time, any place. But my big, my favorite story of yours is how you will write on a crosstown bus. Yeah, I, I need to because it's my job. And I you know, sometimes need to get out of the house. So I'll write in a coffee shop. Crosstown bus may be pushing it a little bit. They get pretty busy. Didn't you used to write when your kids were little at their, the birthday parties you had to take them to? Yes, because there's just so much that you can sing, you know, whatever that song is or the many songs. That the have, wheels uh, on the bus or something. Yeah, that, wasn't there one about gathering together? Not the hol- not the Thanksgiving song, but some other one. But I, I would slip off and nobody would notice I wasn't there and just go into, you know, like the kitchen and write. And sit on a little toy dinosaur chair and yeah. write a novel. Yeah, I wrote The Interestings on a toy dinosaur chair, you know. 
How did I know that? How I, it's amazing <laughs> to true. me. No, I, kid I know. It, you kid. But those days of having young kids, which does seem for me quite long ago, there was something so important about witnessing every minute. And when you are a mother who works, first of all, and secondly, who has a life outside of one's kids, the other mothers are sort of snobby, standoffish, judgy, you know, why isn't she here? Why isn't she making cupcakes? Why did she only buy cupcakes? I felt I felt very judged when my kids were little. I, I did go to a lot of things. I wanted to be part of it, too, but I also had to rush home and, and work. I don't know that I felt it to the extent that you did from other mothers. I, I actually loved a lot of those friendships from early on. I don't know. I mean, maybe I just was getting looks, dagger looks behind my head, and I didn't see them. You teach writing. You've studied writing. You you know what it is you're looking for, but yet I don't understand really if writing can be taught. People say to me all the time, and I'm sure to you too, oh, I want to write a book, or I have a book I'm going to write, or you should write a book with me, they say to me. I'm sure they don't say that to you. <laughs> and And I think, you know, how... How does one, you can't really, can you turn someone into a writer who isn't a natural? I wouldn't answer that because I don't really know. But I will say this. It is entirely possible that someone who starts writing at a certain age and you think, oh, there's nothing here, much later can come back and be transformed. And I don't know if that was just something in them that was waiting, if it was a workshop that brought it out, that it was sort of, you know, lying dormant in them. It's hard to know, but I've seen it happen. And I also know that with regard to writing workshops and MFAs, I don't have an MFA. I I sold my first novel in college and I, you know, started kind of trying to go out there and be a writer after that. But one of the things that MFAs can do is buy you time, especially if it's a fully funded program where you're allowed to just write or teach and, you know, and you have a lot of time to work. Also, being in a community of other people doing this very lonely thing can be very, very helpful. So I think there are a lot of factors that go into it that are very, very useful to take a, you know, taking a writing class. But whether it can be taught, qua taught, is very hard to understand and it's hard to quantify how those things go. Let's talk about privacy and the writer. Because privacy is something that has changed. I think about privacy every day. It seems to me the great luxury, the greatest luxury that one can have. If one has worked at it enough, you can say, no, I don't want to do that. You can separate yourself from social media. Mm -hmm. You can um, protect that which is dearest to you because we know the machine's listen to us, observe us, study us, and and spit back what we what we gave them. Yeah. And spit it to whomever. We don't know whom. And you and I have kids in their twenties and they grew up with a different idea of what privacy means. And and then I think something that can happen with younger people is they don't even think of it as something that that they necessarily want. Right. If you lose not only the thing, but the desire for the thing, that can happen. If you don't know what it is, you don't 
miss right, it. Right, you know, if you didn't have it, if you grew up saturated in in a media world and hearing people's secrets and all of that, then you don't think you've lost anything. But we who stand with one foot in the 20th century and one in the 21st sort of do understand that. I mean, I, I fantasize, of course, a lot about giving it all up. I'm not, I'm not even on in a big way, but I have it and I've amassed it. And one thing that irritates me is that thing that Facebook says to you, Meg, you're eight whatever friends haven't heard from you in a while. <laughs> they're, they're worried about you. It's a nag. Should they call your landlord and have him open the door with a key? I mean, like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's disturbing. Or how about Meg? Have you celebrated your, 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 your friend anniversary? That is the worst thing ever. When I have to see photos of me with somebody I don't even know who, like, I took a picture with somewhere, and now there's a theme song for us. <laughs> that Just day for you. That you and Susanna met. It's like I don't, I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> and Susanna, of course, is meanwhile reposting really? yeah, it a million so. times. She's so excited. <laughs> it's know. her friend anniversary with I you. Know. You and I once were walking on a street and named people we had both oh, befriended on right. Facebook that's that right. we both didn't know. That's so funny. That's right. We came up with the names of people and they were just like floating out there, random people. And now you don't even know where you knew people from. It's like, do I know them? I know. Or, that is so mysterious. Are they a hologram or are they <laughs> actually my friend from camp? I don't, you know, I've lost that. I've lost that, that too, that filter, that distinction. that distinction. I know. I saw my mother and I said, wait a minute, do I know you in real life? You know, <laughs> IRL? Right. Brave new world. It's not even new. It's already old. This is like, I can't believe we're it, going. It, it was a brave new world once. It was. So you went to the Oscars. I did. With your friend, Glenn Close. I'm well, surprised she's with not her. here. I didn't go with her. I didn't sit with her. You didn't sit with her? No. She oh. sat with her agent. I mean, yes, she, she did. Yeah. She sat with her agent. Yeah. She looked good. Yeah. Her outfit was heavy. She changed afterwards into another one. Did you go to the Vanity Fair party with her? I didn't go again. <laughs> I, again, I didn't go with her, yeah, but sure. we both were there. And was it fun? Which was incidents <laughs> that we both happened to be at these events? These very fancy <laughs> events. Yes. Did you change? Did no. you have two different outfits? I had the one thing. I had the one dress that I was proud of having, and I wore it all night. You looked very lovely. Thank you. Did you stand in the circle for the picture at the Vanity Fair no, Oscar y- party? No, because they were photographing. When we came in, they were photographing some really famous person, and I got to, and I sort of slipped by. You skulked. I skulked in. And I think the writer doesn't, you know, it's not, my presence did not illuminate that party. It was super power packed. Who was the most exciting celebrity for you to see? Oh, boy. Um, Did you? I saw Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. And I saw Ronan Farrow. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, they were, you know, and Glenn Close. uh, Yeah, but you were (laughs) sick of her by then, weren't you? I was like, enough, lady. Enough, lady. Stop calling me all the time. (laughs) Lose my phone number. (laughs) Glenn Close, what a hanger on to you. She's really, really great. She's really great. And she also rightly thanked you. A yes, lot. and every I know a lot. I know. I know. That was great. I know. And you know what's going to happen to you, Nicole? Stop calling me. I'm trying to oh, write. Maybe, maybe um, because Nicole Kidman bought 
optioned your novel, Female Persuasion. I'm very excited about it. I think that, you know, I mean, look, I had a great experience with The Wife. It was wonderful. Any time that you get a book turned into something, I mean, I said somewhere that it's like the icing on a cake that you didn't know was going to get baked. And and I think that's really true. Like you don't, I never think about will my book be a film when I write it. Of course, you know, I don't think about that. But then if it happens, you assume it isn't even going to happen because most things don't. And then it just threaded that needle and it took, you know, 14 years to get made. I hope this one doesn't take 14 years to get made because that would I hope not. And me. also, you want to go to Nashville before they leave Nashville. I know. I want to go. Because Nashville's fun. And then you want to just see the height difference between Keith Urban oh, and Oh, is Nicole. it a big? Is it a, well, I don't know. We need you for that. Is that, I, you're burning to know that? No, not really. Okay. Not really. He seems lovely, too. They seem great. I, I think she's doing amazing work. I'm really, really excited about this. Well, I'm excited, too. And I'm excited first to do your five things because you were good enough to actually print them out. And um, I love them. So you're number one, although it doesn't have to be in any order. order. It's it's in no order. Okay. And would you say that the list you're about to read is things that make your week better, your life better, your month better, today better? Well, they're all certainly... Of recent vintage, they remain important to me. They certainly are a part of my ongoing life. Um, but let's just say the past month. Has That's been. excellent. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with Lawrence O'Donnell. So, yes. Okay. So, you know, they tried to cancel Lawrence O'Donnell's show on MSNBC, and all of these viewers rose up as one and basically complained, and it worked. It was kind of like Friday Night Lights. They got yes. a kind of stay of execution. I think he's really droll, well-informed. I agree with his politics. I really I find him steady. But one thing that I also enjoy about that show, because I watch, of course, and like Rachel Maddow very much as well, but she's the one who gets sort of all the attention. Mm-hmm. But there's that moment, if you watch those shows, the handoff. I so love that. So she's on... And then they do a split screen, and it's like the Brady Bunch when they're in different squares, and Chris, you know, not Chris, sorry, and Lawrence and Rachel are talking before uh, his show starts. And I just love that transitional moment of them kind of talking to each other from their separate squares. I love that, too. And I don't know whether they're in the same room or the same state or the same anything, but I I like how they sort of say... Okay, now it's your turn to take this load. Yeah, that, this, this load horrible of... Trumpian load. And also another great thing is that if they're actually having an interesting conversation, which they often are, they can go a little longer. Right. So right. they can just do what they want. It's like inside. It's like yeah, it's, a very inside. It's also like Hollywood Squares in those boxes. Boxes. I I don't know. I think I have a thing about people being in individual boxes. I don't know. Maybe you should see the Lehman trilogy because the three <gasps> actors are in a box. You know, I have been following that play for some time in the London opening. And it, is it? Did you? Is it yes. amazing? Uh, I'm it's, dying to see it. It's the best thing I've seen. And like the men play like a little girl or whatever. It sounds incredible. Three men playing everybody. Yeah, no I'm, change of costume. No nothing. Oh, you know what? I want to change one of my things to talk okay. about something else. Okay. Actually, oh, I don't know which one to. Get you right. can have six. Really? I, I let right. guests have six. Okay. I have an amazing thing to talk about that is within the past. uh, I saw it a week ago, I think, and it's just something incredible. 
Oh, do tell. Say something, Bunny. Do you know about this? I know nothing about it. All right. I don't know. When is this airing? Uh, it goes live tomorrow. Oh, and then perfect. It stays on forever. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what the, you think. That's the good news. That's what and you the think about news. all of our things yeah. that they are permanent, as they opposed are. to that twentieth-century thing where things just flew past. Right. Okay. Our mutual friend, the humorist Patricia Marks, mm-hmm. New Yorker writer, told me about a performance called "Say Something Bunny." That's playing in Chelsea, and if I could tell you the name of the theater right now, I would, but I, we can find it, I'm sure. Um, so what it is, we Richard, my husband, and I went to see it and absolutely loved it and were thrilled by it. So back uh, some a couple of years ago, like a number of years ago, this woman, whose name I've also forgotten because uh, I wasn't planning on talking about this today, uh, was given a a wire recorder from an estate sale. And this was a kind of technology that did not last. Instead of tape, there would be a thin piece of wire on which, you know, sound could be recorded. And somebody, a friend, bought it at an estate sale and thought she'd be interested. And it came in this box, this big boxy kind of Bell and Howell looking kind of thing. Uh And on it was a wire and she played it back and there were all these voices. And there were kind of like these accents like, oh, well, she said to her and then and she set out to find out who these people were. It was from the early 1950s, the wow. first one. There was absolutely no identification of who they were, but there were some tells. There were mentions of Broadway plays, so you could narrow down the year. There was a mention of a a, a football game at Cornell, that Cornell was playing against someone else. So she was able to find out exactly who these people were and what happened to them. So what you do, the audience, only 24 people, I think, can watch it at once. And you are given a script to follow along with with exactly what's being said. And she annotates it and does a song here and there because it turns out that one of the youngest son in one of the two families, there's two next-door neighbor families, the younger son went on to write a song for Liza Minnelli and a song for, I think, Petula Clark, and she'll sing them. So there's like this wild, it's, you know what it is? We were talking before about the internet. It's the rabbit hole of the internet writ large, Mm -hmm. and it's moving. And there's this guy, and you sit there, you kind of take on the role, but you don't have to speak. Like, I got to play June, the neighbor, but I didn't do anything. I just, she would point to me, and I sat at this kind of big round table. And there's a guy sort of giving annotations. There's a voice sort of saying, that was the year at Cornell, that blah, 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 happens. And at the end of the, oh, no, I shouldn't give it up. Okay, don't. All right, I was just about to give something cool Uh away. All right, you know what? It's Just go see it. Say something, Bunny. It's really unusual, and I really loved it. Well, I'm going to get tickets to see that. That sounds very cool. And you're right. It sounds like... It's not like anything. A secret that... And and, and 24 people... It's very popular, actually. I mean, it's been extended. I think it's... I don't know. I don't... I'm not sure it's been extended, but it's playing through July or until July. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, similarly, you should try to see the Lehman trilogy because that is... Uh, it's just extraordinary, not just the versatility of the actors, but the fact that it's an a, an American play written by an Italian. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I'm dying to see it. Okay. Let's... Okay, well, apparently we share 
something here. Uh, our love of the spelling bee in the New York Times. The title I always find a little off. It's not really a spelling bee. No, it isn't a bee. No, it's no. a spelling seven, yeah. really. So, you know, every Sunday in the magazine section and every day, I guess, online or if you have the app, the puzzle app, or you get it in a news feed, right? I you get, get it, it. In I don't, my New York Times they online. S- they send you a, the puzzle, which is a circle, and it has six letters on the outside and one letter in the inside. And using only those letters, you can make one or more, sometimes, words only using those letters. And then you can find other words that use, they have to use the center letter, but they can use some of the other ones, but they cannot use any additional non-mentioned letters. And I'm telling you, this is, I hope if, you know, they say doing puzzles staves off dementia, although I don't know if that's true because some real puzzle-based people have gotten it and I don't I don't really know but we're doing the best we can and I love it and that's not why I do it I just love puzzles anything to do with words I'm a huge Scrabble player that's not on here but that's like I don't know why I didn't put that on here Um, well maybe because you know that the spelling bee or you probably don't know but I've I've mentioned it no as well on this Um. podcast and I I do the spelling bee every single day one of the things that irritates me is that my boyfriend's brother and sister-in-law not only get genius every day, they get a different level called Queen Bee. What's number three or four? Number three, very different from spelling bee, is black garlic. Now, I order it online. What is it? Okay. It's it's this kind of preserved, you know, it's fermented garlic. And it is like this weird, fudgy consistency with this super umami taste. It's a, it's a little bit like a raisin. It's fabulous. And I, so one thing you could do, and people love it. I've served it to people, and they've loved it. It's not just me. Um, you put it on like a little goat cheese. You like cut it into like slivers on a cracker. It's great. Oh, wait. It's it's like a head of garlic yeah. that's been fermented. Yeah. So it's so black. The, so it's black and it's not liquid. No. It's, no, no, no. It's like a it's like a prune or raisin consistency. It's truly delicious. It's great. Get it. It's okay. like yeah, you can get it online. Get it now. Get it right get this it second. Right this you notice that my family has a steak in the black garlic while it's black garlic has been accompanied <laughs> for hundreds of years and I'm trying to get your listeners to <laughs> No. I only the best. Only the best. From Wallitzer. <laughs> The black garlic experts since I'm an enthusiast. 1937. Yeah, I, I'm such an enthusiast that I sound like I'm shilling for this company, uh, but I'm not. I just love the You garlic. would think I was selling tickets to the Lehman Trilogy. I know. And exactly. I talked about it before you got here, so mm. enough already. And Stissel, the TV show. Have you okay, seen it? Okay, that's my favorite. Why oh. isn't that? Okay. Do you print? I say Stiesel. Stiesel. Oh, Stiesel is correct. Do you know? I want to say two things. <laughs> Stiesel. Let's throw out this list. I, Stiesel, which is this fantastic show from Israel about this family uh, named Stiesel, is really an addiction. And you know, for all, I didn't know, I thought that the main young character's name was Stiesel for a while. It reminded me of another favorite show of mine that I haven't watched in a couple of years, Borgen, the Danish show. Uh, she becomes like the, is it the prime minister, president, 
Of, oh, I heard of, that was good. It's fantastic. Um, I thought for a long time her name was, was Borgen. Borgen. No, Borgen means government. Oh. So uh, Stiesel is wonderful, really enjoying it a lot. I We still have about four episodes to go, but it's very gripping, and it's become a big big hit. It has become a big hit. And as I've talked about on the show, I have become such an obsessive fan of it that I joined the Facebook chat group. You did? And it's called, it sounds like it's Yiddish, Stissel, Stissel. Can we talk about it? <laughs> oh, maybe it is pronounced Stissel. No, I, I think you're right. But there's so many people on it, really? thousands and millions. And they want to talk about it. And they are so such a force that they too, like the Lawrence O'Donnell fans, are now causing the producers to rethink doing oh, a third season. That's right. There are only two. I'm in the middle of the first season. I'm very happy that we have a second one. But, you know, another thing on here, I had another TV show, but you threw, threw out my list. I have a show that you don't even know that is so brilliant. I don't know it. And that is your number five number, or six It's or called seven. Only Connect. And it's this British quiz show that is one of the best things that I've ever seen. And it's hosted by this woman, Victoria Corin Mitchell, who is a kind of like a wit in London. And she's married to, or in England, she's married, although the show tapes in Cardiff, Wales. In Wales? Yeah. In some, you know. They it, have TV? It has no production values. It's uh -huh. like the lowest production values. The people on it are these oddballs who know everything. I'm like, here's, okay, it's called Only Connect, which refers to the E.M. Forster line, as everyone As everyone knows. knows. And um, you have to find the connection between seemingly random things. Did you, no, are, don't, did you already look and see? No, I didn't. Okay, don't look. So here's one. And I'm not going to expect you to get it, so don't feel like you have to cut this out if you You're, don't get it. I'm no Meg Wolitzer. God. All right, so here were the four things. Bach. Mm -hmm. Aria, mm -hmm. Mills, Ono. John's. No. no. Johann's. No. Ono, no. O-N-O. Listen, let's, I'll, read, I'll say them again. Bach, Aria, Mills, Ono. <sighs> ding, ding, ding. Do you want me to tell you? I know I'm causing so much... Like blank tape. And you're for causing your, your not only blank podcast. tape, but for the host to look stupid. No, no. I, no. I, I see what you're up to, Walitzer. No, I, oh, God, no. Okay. A Bach, I, Aria. You can cut this all out. Mills and Ono. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait. Okay, talk, talk me through it and I'll help you. Okay. Mills... There's Sir John Mills. There's Haley Mills. There's Windmills. Let's go to the last one because that's the oh, most. Oh, no. Okay, because that can only be interpreted probably well. As Yoko, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you take as your starting position, oh, no, as, as in Yoko. Yes. And you want to find a category that she would fit into and these other weird names would fit into. Mm -hmm. Look at the other names now and think about it a little bit. Um. I don't know if you know all of them, but you will. You can take a leap from Heather it. Mills? Yes. Okay. Who's Heather Mills, Lisa? She was a wife of Paul McCartney. Yes, and, and more even more specifically than that. The second wife. Yes. And Yoko Ono was the second and wife. And look at the other ones. Look at the trick. You got it, babe. Who's Aria? 
That was okay. Barbara Bach was a Ringo's, Ringo's second, second wife. wife. This is this must be George's second wife. Somebody Aria. Oh well, that how brilliant. But that's brilliant. And so the how show could is you all have, like that. How could you have known? Do you know Spy Magazine had a list every month called the Spy List where we never. Showed. You didn't know what the thing was. No, nope. I don't even remember that. God. Spy Magazine. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, so this so is a new show. So that's a great show. show. It's, you can watch it on um, YouTube, mm-hmm. and they're all there, and it's still running. It's terrific. And she's married to this uh, David Mitchell, this comedian, not the writer, and he's really great. He was on this fabulous show, Peep Show, which I, I also heard about from Patricia Marks. Well, And she's a poker player. It's a great show. You'll love it. Only Connect. Okay. That's cool. I mean, you have really told me things I know nothing about. And your final? Um, Yes. Okay. So I have the meditation app Headspace. Mm -hmm. Do you have that? I have it. It's like (laughs) a floater. Is it sort of like the treadmill with the tie over it in in somebody's bedroom? I guess it yeah, is, because uh, I don't really mm-hmm. use it. But you're it. paying a lot of money for it. Oh, yes. I I'm know. paying no money for it. Oh, you have the free one. Oh, oh I have you the... think I'm paying for it? Well, mine is like $15 a month or something. <gasps> yeah. Okay, I better check. I don't, you should check. This podcast is just making me feel terrible <laughs> so in every terrible. way. I'm so sorry. I'm stupid and I'm No, wasteful. no, you have the free one. I have you, the free one. You have the free one. one. That's it. Not only that, you have the one where they pay you. Yeah, exactly. You have the one, the gold bullion one, right? <laughs> Didn't you? That, I'm going to try to make you feel good now. No, it's okay. You did get the answer to the Heather Beals. Mills. You no, got that's it. very yeah, impressive really well. that I knew that. You yeah. And you know what? If you play with the sound a little bit with the engineer afterwards... You can have it so that you say notably, and I don't. Not really. <laughs> you can do Okay. No. All right. I know. I'm, All right. I'm, I'm, I'm honest. The last one is, as I started to say, Headspace has little subcategories now. It's not just about meditating regularly. There's also a sleep thing, which I have sleep problems. Who don't? Some people don't, and I don't. No, I I have sleep problems. So you should call me at four in the morning. Just take a gamble that I'm awake. Okay. Just take that risk. I I urge you and and all your listeners to call me. We will. Um, So they have these um, sleep casts, and they're the most boring stories on purpose to get you to sleep. But they're so weird that they're interesting to me, which is sort of a problem. There's one called Snowville, where you picture (laughs) this town of snow. Another rain day antiques. Now, that is the dullest thing in the world. But my personal favorite <laughs> is called Cat Marina. I mean, I could, you can pull this up on a phone because it's hilarious. And it tells you a story. There's a dock. And on that dock, there's a series of houseboats. And each one has its own cat. It's so boring that Cat Marina just makes me want to go to sleep. Just the two words together right, are it? soporific. It seems random. Like I bet we could come up with something even more soporific. What, what yes. would it be? It would be lamb accounting. That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Okay, you come up with one. Okay. Um, periodontic Swinburne. <laughs> it's like a writer that... Yeah, we put you to sleep read, anyway. You, sleep. you don't really read. Yeah. Um, you, you do another one. Okay. Um Chenille Petty Point. There once was a girl 
who wanted a chenille bedspread, <laughs> but she couldn't decide what color it should be. Her, she, na- <laughs> her name was Amy. <laughs> Amy would say, I like beige. You know what, really? I know other people disagree, but I am very uncrafty, and they are. So, I mean, it's... I, well, that, well, well, no, well, they wouldn't disagree that I'm not crafty, but cruel work would be really... Also, but it's interesting because it has cruel in it, so it sounds it sort sounds of like more... It, it sounds like it could be a Heather Mills and her cruel work. <laughs> No, but I'm trying to think now of like what else is. But you see, while we're all needle pointing and knitting, you're writing yet another book. True. Oh no, I don't. No, I think people. There are a lot of people who knit and do crafts who are very who do other things like they love to think about. No, I don't. I I my hat is off to them. My chenille hat Your is chenille off to them. Beret. No, I don't. It just to me, I don't want to do it, but I don't. God knows I, I admire them. I don't look, you know, I no, I don't think that it takes the place necessarily of, of no, but other you, kinds but of work. No, but you are very prolific. Yeah. Admit that. Give me that. I'm going to give you that. And that reminds me to say that if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, Five Things with Lisa Birnbach, also known as Lisa Birnbach's Five Things with Lisa Birnbach, I say my name so much on this podcast. In any case, you can at Stitcher.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, and at my website, LisaBirnbach.com. I want to say thank you to Meg Wallitzer, whose presence is a treat, whose writing is superb. Thank you so much for joining us, me. I hope you had a good time. I did. And may I leave you with one final one? Yes. Macroeconomics potpourri. (laughs) (laughs) Stay cool. Act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. (laughs) 